0: and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to join me in the book of Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 7 through chapter 11. How about that? Man, we're going going after it today. So if you have your Bible, uh, we'll be doing a lot of reading, and uh, there'll be some on the screen, some not. So if you have your Bible, it'll be good to navigate and work your way through that. And by the way, church, that's a good thing, isn't it? Amen. I mean, to have our Bibles, and read through the Bible. I mean, that's a good good thing. So it's really great. I want to just say on behalf of of Pastor Steve and our pastoral team, thank you for uh, the gifts and the encouragement in this month of October, this past month of Pastor Appreciation. Man, we feel overwhelmed by appreciation. So thank you for your Uh, thoughtfulness and your gifts and your cards it it really is is humbling Uh, I think we all would say that so thank you for being that kind of a church and it means a lot to be uh, to be a part of this uh, this body called Antioch we're going to look today in chapter 7 through chapter 11 God versus Pharaoh God versus Pharaoh we have a Chiefs game today at 320 it's the Chiefs versus the Packers. That doesn't mean anything, does it, in comparison to who God is and what he's doing. Uh, looking forward to how God's going to use this section of scripture to encourage us and to challenge us. Uh, we look back on this historical event and the narrative we we're going to look at today in chapter 7 through 11. And realize the events of this narrative and this book took place 3,500 years ago. But yet, what we're looking at today is as relevant today as it was when it was spoken by Moses under God's authority 3,500 years ago, that God has a word for us from his word today, and these words continue to, to shape who we are, amen, church, and to shape our identity as Christ as Christ followers. Exodus is that reminder that, that God is a promise-keeping God. That he keeps his promises. You got to imagine, after 400 years of slavery and, and these promises that were given, promise after promise, and t- you know, decade after decade, and century after century, they, they may have just given up. But, but that's not the God of the Bible. That God has a plan, and we all know it, isn't it? That God's timetable is not the same as our timetable. Sometimes we want God to do things pretty fast or quick, and, and God takes time to do that. The title Pharaoh is a term that means great house, and it represents his palace. The word Pharaoh has the idea also of a a president. Uh, Pharaoh was considered to be a a deity, uh, that they they worshipped him. Uh, Amazing historical background about Pharaoh and, and the Pharaohs. In fact, the Egyptians believed that Pharaoh to be a mediator between God and them That's how powerful he was. But we know in our text that Pharaoh was a a brutal dictator uh, who leveled heavy abuse and oppression on the Israelites at that time who numbered 1.5 million people in over 400 years of oppression and slavery. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses and his brother Aaron confront Pharaoh with these words and this message. They say, the Lord... The God of Israel says, Let my people go. Pharaoh replies in Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2 Who is the Lord that I should obey him and obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. What a defining question for Pharaoh. Who is the Lord that I should even obey his voice? It's as if Pharaoh is saying, I believe he is saying, what gives the God of the Israelites the right to issue a command to me? Doesn't he know who I am? I'm Pharaoh. I'm deity. In essence, I am, I am God. I'm the king of Egypt. I'm, I'm a living deity. Pharaoh didn't recognize that there is a higher, a higher power a higher God than him, a higher authority. In reality, Pharaoh lived out the closing line of the poem Invictus, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. He lived as if there was no God. And what happened to church family, we may not be as blatant as Pharaoh was blatant, but yet there's times in our lives when we drift away. We might say those exact words, who is the Lord, how should I, why should I obey him? But oftentimes our actions, amen, and our attitudes display the fact that we just, we don't care what God has to say. Right? Who is God to tell me how to live my family or spend my resources or whatever it may be? Let that sink in. We may not admit it, but by our actions we think it. Why should I let God interfere my life? I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. Chapter 7 then begins a new narrative where Moses and Aaron are given the assignment to confront Pharaoh again to let my people go. And God reminds them with this confrontation that he won't listen. Isn't that encouraging to get that kind of word from God to Moses? Hey, here's what you're going to do to Pharaoh but he's not going to even pay attention to what you're saying. Maybe sometimes that happens in your household. <laughs> I, I just got a feeling of this 830 crowd that kind of happens once in a while. My wife will be talking and, and saying things, and about a minute or two later I said, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear what you said. I didn't, sometimes I didn't even hear a word she said. <laughs> all right? And the same goes for both of us, right? I mean, for, for, for both of us too, all right? So we, we get that. Pharaoh won't listen. We're going to find throughout this passage, this phrase over and over again, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. That his heart was calloused. His heart was rebellious. We're going to see it all the way through the the plagues. It's, It's amazing. You think there would be some kind of a breakdown somewhere in the narrative, but it's all about Pharaoh. It's all about his leadership and who he is. So God has promised to deliver his people from Egypt through great acts of judgment, and those acts of judgment are the 10 plagues, the 10 plagues. And so today I'm, I'm privileged to walk through not two or three of them, but all 10 of them, all right? So are you guys ready? Yeah. Appreciate Pastor Steve. Yeah, what's my text? Exodus 7 through 11, all right? So it's, it's awesome, isn't it? But hasn't Exodus been good for us as a church to go back to those beginning books and to just, to, to just set our, 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 our heart in what God is doing and just reminded of the kind of God he is. So the 10 plagues, I would say, define this epic showdown between Pharaoh and God, between Pharaoh and his gods and Moses, his, his God. All 10 plagues represent an Egyptian God. It's important to know every plague represents an Egyptian God and that God is over all of the Egyptian gods. We'll see that throughout this section. And so the point of the 10 plagues is this. The point of the 10 plagues is to display the awesome power and glory of God. That's the picture, to display his glory and his power. So let's look at the 10 plagues. If you have your Bible, want to join Join me in chapter 7 of the book of Exodus. The first plague is the Nile River turns to blood. The Nile River represents the gods Osiris, new, and happy. The Nile River represents these three gods of Egypt. Let me read the passage here just for a brief passage in chapter 7, verse 20 through 21. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water of the Nile and all the water in the Nile turned to blood. And the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt." Now we read that passage this past week or so. I've kind of been thinking about this passage, but to realize what must that have been like to to recognize the Nile River, it's the largest river in the world. That river now has turned to blood. My wife and I were taking a walk the other day, one of our favorite walks is down by the by the river, the Missouri River down in Parkville, and just walking right by as I walk in there yesterday. I thought, I couldn't imagine the, the Missouri River being Total blood. Right? Can, can you only imagine that? What that must have been like? You think in my mind, plague number one, good for me. I'm good to go. But when i I'm done, all right? <laughs> done, one and done. But the Egyptians, they, they worshiped the river. It was the centerpiece of Egyptian culture. It, it provided for them transportation and, and water and, and for their own selves and for, for, for the fields and all, the, all they had just without water. What do you have? You have have nothing. The Nile River turns to blood, representing the gods of Egypt. Second plague is the frogs in chapter 8. The frogs also represent Egyptian gods, Hept, the frog-headed goddess of fertility. Look at the key passage here in chapter 8, verse We'll look at verse one through three. I think one's not on there, but one through three. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom.'" and on your bed, and into the houses of your servants and your people, and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. Again, can you imagine your house filled with frogs? Right. And look how God is giving these judgments. Gods of the Nile, gods of the frogs, these symbols of fertility. They also believe these frogs had divine power Almost as a god, the blood, the frogs, and then the gnats. Chapter eight. The gnats represent the Egyptian earth god Geb. I'm going to pick it up here in chapter sixteen, or chapter eight, verse sixteen, and following. Then the Lord said to Moses, Exodus eight sixteen, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. So that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried to, by their secret arts, to produce gnats, but they could not, so there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, Catch this phrase, this is the finger of God. Alright. So his magicians are finally getting after a two, now third plague. Hey, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So we see Pharaoh's again, heart is, is hardened. There's, there's been the frogs and the, 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 the blood of the rip. For me, that's enough right there. Platinum, plate, you know, plague number one's good enough for me. This finger of God, what does that mean, the finger of God? The finger of God speaks to what God is doing. Think about the finger of God in your life and my life, that, that God has a, a plan and God's at work in our lives, and he ignored that. This is the finger of God. Again, he's rebellious, he's callous, and would not listen to God there's nothing like gnats to expose the, the, the lack of power and dominance of Pharaoh. I mean, you've been on your deck, haven't you, in the summertime, and you're out there maybe having dinner or something or just hanging out there, and, and gnats, right? Have you, you ever, have you experienced gnats? Can I get a witness on that gnats, all right? And they're just, it's miserable, isn't it? They get up in your nose and get in your eyes and just horrible But can you imagine gnats everywhere? Everywhere. My wife and I were with some friends on Thursday evening for dinner. And uh, as we were sitting around the table, there was five of us around the table. uh, There was a gnat at our table, a a guest, a little little guest. Just a little teeny, just a little teeny, teeny. All right. But there's just one gnat. I'm not talking about the room filled with gnats, just one and it's amazing what one gnat could do. Flying by my nose, flying, everybody just kind of, kind of swatted away, right? It came by, I think, one person on their lip or something, or kind of getting off their lip. And then my wife, the wife she is, she killed it. I mean, she killed the gnat, all <laughs> right? Just awesome, man. Yeah, <laughs> pioneer woman, that's what she does, man. Just, it just, <laughs> but I just finally, just boom, it's dead. But that's just one gnat, one. Can you imagine, again, the entire, being of gnats everywhere everywhere so the Nile River turns to blood the frogs the gnats and then just like gnats here comes the flies represents the Egyptian god you etch it. the god of flies that really the fly god look at chapter 8 here in verse 24 chapter 8 verse 24 and the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt, and the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Again, you think you'd get the idea, man, let's just, Pharaoh, let's just give in. Just give in. Blood, and frogs, and gnats, and flies. Now we can do. There's a lot of lot here. I, I hope I encourage you to take even the text on your own and, and read through chapter seven and read through chapter eleven and get all the little details that are there, right. But but you see you see the big picture here. A God who took the form of a fly. They were everywhere. These flies everywhere. Then there's the death of livestock. In chapter nine, this is the Egyptian god Apis. And the key verse here is chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, and there's much more to be said in that particular text, but pick it up in chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. Again, to notice if you go back to chapter 8, if you have your text, verse 32, but again, Pharaoh hardened his heart. So just not not enough yet to break his heart, his heart is still hard, chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. Again, can you imagine everything, livestock, everything is, is gone. I mean, they, they, they worshiped livestock. Right? Their, their, their gods are, are being killed. The weight of this death of livestock. Then we see in chapter 9, boils. The Egyptian god, Setment, uh, The god of Isis. It, it's the god of, of healing, this god of healing. Look at Exodus chapter 9, verse 8 through 12. It'll be on our screens as well. Chapter 9, verse 8 through 12. The sixth plague. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. Everywhere. Verse 10. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. Now catch that phrase there. They're they're actually standing before the most powerful man in the universe. All right. These plagues aren't even making a a dent in who he is. They they stood before Pharaoh and, and Moses threw the. Threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon Egypt. But the Lord hardened. This is the first time now we see not Pharaoh harden his heart. Now God steps in and Pharaoh hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Or excuse me, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken. By God hardening the heart of Pharaoh, again, demonstrates his power and his authority and his superiority. Right, get, me, get me, church. So here's God steps in and he hardens the heart of Pharaoh. This is getting serious. Not just Pharaoh hardening his heart, but then God has stepped in to harden his heart. Again, demonstrating that he is the God of all gods. He is the God of all and every Egyptian God. He's over all of them. A, a boil spoke of a, a skin disease. Anybody here ever had a boil? I mean, I don't want you don't have to raise your hand. If you don't want to, I me? Mean, I just, I, you know, I, just, I don't want to see it or look at it or anything like that. Where maybe someplace, you know. But, you know, what I mean, I, I I don't think I've ever had a boil. Have you had a boil, Judy? Okay, we're we're, we're okay. <laughs> Forty-five years of marriage, never asked that question here before. I love it. I, I I've never experienced a boil. But you who have, and I've I've heard of it. It's just just horrible. I've seen pictures of it. It Just gets really red, and there's some kind of little black thing in there, and there's pus in it. And you squeeze it, and just kind of pops that. Hey, man, church. This is the word, man. We're getting okay. We're going deep today. We're going. We're going deep. All right. But seriously, can you imagine? Boils over your, your entire body. Can you? I can't imagine that. But yet Pharaoh's hardened, and God uses it to harden his, his heart. And then there's a the plague of hail in chapter 9. The Egyptian god Nut, who was the sun goddess, uh, the god Set, uh, who was the storm god. So look at chapter 9, verse 23 to 25. I think I'm going to go through down to 26. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. I, is that my phone? <laughs> it's off. <laughs> Boils. Okay, no, okay, okay. okay. So can can you, that, my phone was off, man, so I don't know what it it's just, I got those powers, I guess, to put phone on without that. All right. So can you imagine this, 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 this hail on everything. In verse 25, the hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Not not just every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. And by the way, they were exempt from all these plagues. Again, they were up in the land of Goshen. They never experienced anything. God provided them. God protected them. We've seen hailstorms in Missouri, right? The damage it can do. But can you imagine this kind of hail that covered the entire land of Egypt and Pharaoh still won't bow down to the God of gods Sometimes even in our lives, things happen in our lives, and, and we, we we get stubborn, we get rebellious, we get calloused, and we won't we won't even bend down to the to God to our God, will we, church? We we get stubborn. There's people in our church here and watching online who've been hurt by something in life, and you're angry at God, you're mad at God. Right? But but God is a God who is present, God is a God who who cares. And may we never get that hard where we turn from God and who He is. The eighth plague is locusts. Locusts represents the Egyptian gods, Seth and Newt. It's, it's important to know, church, that every plague represents an Egyptian God. and here it is, man. God dominates every Egyptian God. Right? Every Egyptian God. Look at 10 3 for a moment. I don't think it's on the screen, but 10 3, chapter 10, verse 3. I want to pick it up in verse verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. Number two, that's the second time that God said God, I've hardened his heart, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson, how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Verse three, so Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. What a, what a question. Pharaoh, when are you going to to stop this and just humble your heart before God? Pride is huge, isn't it, church? Pride is big. He wasn't willing to humble himself before the Lord. Look at verse 14 and 15 of chapter 10. 14 and 15. This plague of locusts, then the locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts, as had never been before, no ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land, so the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained. Neither a tree nor a plant of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. I, I, have you ever seen, like, a, a, you know, a locust? everybody ever seen that on the, maybe in a farm or out in the country? Just the, how, how they just swarm and there's just there's this blackness. Can you imagine the entire land of Egypt was blackened with, with locusts? Locusts. This was. The crop God, and God is showing that he is the God of all the crops, right? he's the God of vegetation, that he is the God, and by doing so, he continues to humiliate Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Number nine, the ninth plague is darkness. The Egyptian God, Ra and Isis. That's the sun God. The sun god even symbolized Pharaoh himself. And so it's like these are just getting heavier and heavier and heavier. This darkness that came above, everybody was again aimed at this sun god, Ra, who again symbolized Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh himself. Look at chapter 10 in verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land—a darkness to be felt." Have you ever been in a situation where you literally felt darkness, <laughs> felt it? If you're a spelunker or go caving, anybody, how many have been in caves and you go, go caving and spelunking? All right, and you get in there, you got your flashlight. You can kind of see around. Have you been, you turn that off and it is just eerie dark, isn't it? Just, it just you just feel it, just feel it, all right? Can you imagine Gladstone, Missouri, the, the entire world, all right, dominated by darkness, by darkness? It, it would have been terrifying to the Egyptians that they worship the sun, the sun god, And we saw the picture a moment ago. Egypt is pretty much, you know, a desert area. There are some places of vegetation, but it's just, there's a lot of sun in Egypt. So can you imagine what that must have been for them in that situation? And then the 10th plague, the most tragic of all, is the plague of death. Again, this goes against and represents the Egyptian god, Isis, who also was the god of life, the god of life. Pick it up in chapter 11, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold and jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land, in the sight of, of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Verse four, so Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn cattle. There will be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, never will be again. Okay, the Nile River, blood, swarms of flies, gnats, darkness, hail, boils, locusts. But I mean, death the death of a firstborn i can't I can't imagine that what that must have been like but that that plague with the other nine plagues broke pharaoh's heart his spirit we're going to see more of that in the weeks to come as we look at what how god used that in a way to demonstrate the passover that we commune that we have communion in the lord's supper as a picture of that passover I'm looking forward to how God's going to show that us and use that in that situation. So let's kind of wrap this up. No matter what Pharaoh saw or experienced with the plagues, he refused to, to believe. He, he refused to recognize the power and the glory of God, and his heart was unchanged. In fact, after this 10th plague, we'll see his heart again is unchanged, all right? And he, he goes after them, all right? I just, it's hard to imagine that, that, that kind of a person with that kind of vengeance. May we, as Christ followers, see God for who he is. May our time with God not just be confined to a Sunday morning hour worship time in this room. May there be time that we're walking with God, that we, we, we listen for God through the Word, and, and we, we have a conversation with God through prayer, that if we're not careful, we can become very, very distant. We can go through the motions. You say, Bob, how do you know that? Because I've experienced that in my own personal life. Just, you can just kind of go through the motions. You can even go through the motions even reading your Bible. You just kind of go through it, and I got a chapter done. Here's my chapter done. I'm good to go. And can't remember a thing I even read. You probably never experienced that. These are good reminders for us to see God for who he is. Let me give you a couple of thoughts in closing today. I just call them four foundational truths and we can wrap it up. First, the first foundational truth in this section of scripture is the Lord is the true God. These plagues declare that God is God. Amen, church? These plagues declare that he is the true God and the only relevant God. Only relevant God. Through the plagues, God is saying, there is no one like the Lord our God. Exodus 8.10. And church, there is no one like the Lord our God. Steve brought that out last week appropriately that the word God speaks of Elohim, the strong and faithful one. and, And the word Lord here by the uh, in the, the, uh, those who wrote the scriptures and helped put the scriptures together, that's that capital L, capital, lower cap, O R D. It speaks of Jehovah, Yahweh. That, that it, it's his most identifiable name, it's his, his, his most personal name. The Lord God is true. There's no one like the Lord our God. And God goes head to head with Pharaoh and Egyptian gods and those gods are powerless. He exposes, all right? He exposes Egyptian gods to be, to be nothing. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, hear God's word. The Bible says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, right? The Lord alone. So we don't, have, we don't have the God of the river. We don't have the God of, Crops, the God of health. We have one and only God, the Lord God Almighty. Jeremiah 10.6, Jeremiah says, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name in might. Great is his name in might. The Lord is the true God. Secondly, the Lord is the mighty creator. Everything under the sun points to creator God. We've got to be careful, church. We don't worship creation, amen? Creation is a signpost that points us to our creator, God, and the glorious of his, his handiwork, his creation. And God mobilized all of creation against Pharaoh. You know, these plays were not random events. You know, these were planned by God. They were directed and initiated by God as the mighty creator. The mighty creator. If we're not careful, we can become wrapped up with creation rather than wrapped up with our creator. Here's what the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. You, Lord, are the only God. Are we together out here, church? We're still together, right? You, You, Lord, are the only God. You created the heavens, the highest heaven, with all their stars, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to them all, and all the stars of heaven worship you. That We don't worship creation. We worship creator God. The Lord is a mighty creator. He is the true God. The Lord is a just judge. All these plays were signs, obviously, of of God's judgment. And also signs of God's salvation. Pharaoh had time and time, ten times or more to say, to break him and and to to bow before God. But he wouldn't do that. His heart was hardened. And God's judgment is thorough. God's judgment is flawless. God's judgment represents who he is. He's a fair and impartial judge. J.I. Packer, theologian, puts it this way. I think it's on the screens here. The fact that God is just and will judge between right and wrong gives ultimate moral significance to our lives and makes us accountable for our actions. Let's look at that again. The fact that God is just and will judge between right and wrong, gives ultimate moral significance to our lives and makes us accountable for our actions. And God's judgment, I mean, when we think about it, it seems to be like it's God's judgment, right? And there is that, there's a heaviness to that. But as I see it in the scriptures, it's God's judgment is this, church, to bring people up, out, and say, I'm God. Serve the one and only true God. God's judgment has a purpose. God's wrath has a purpose. Psalm 86, or 89, excuse me, verse 14 says, righteous and justice are the foundations of your throne. The very throne of God is righteous and just. It goes on to say, the psalmist says, faithful love and truth go before you. Isn't that something? That faithful love and truth go before God. He's a just judge. He's a mighty creator. He's the true God. He's a gracious savior. God is a just judge, but he's also a gracious Savior. Savior, he chose to demonstrate mercy to his people. In reality, he was demonstrating mercy even to Pharaoh, right? After plague one, I mean, let's go plague three or four, right? He, could, he just resisted that. And the, the, I want to be careful in this room here, online, that we, can, we're not, I care if we can become resistant, even as a Christ follower, resistant to God and His Word. Sometimes you can even see it on people's face and people's demeanor, right? to realize that God is a gracious Savior. The compassionate mercy of God is never deserved. We, We can't earn it. It is freely given by him to us, the mercy of God. This classic passage in Romans chapter 9 is a great passage just to flesh out sometime, but we're just going to read it here this morning. Romans chapter 9, verse 15 through 18. This is now thousands of years later for he god tells moses i will show mercy to whom i will show mercy and i will have compassion on whom i will have compassion so then it does not depend on human will or effort but on god who shows mercy for the scriptures tells pharaoh i raised you up for this reason So that I may display my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in the whole world, the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. That is a heavy passage. But that is who God is, church family. That's who God is. Catch that phrase that he raised up Pharaoh for this reason? Think about that, to display his power and to proclaim it to the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. There's a lot to unpack that. It's, It's like, wow, that's heavy, but it's God, right? It's God who he is. We didn't choose to pursue God. He chose to pursue us. And the call is a full surrender to a gracious God. A gracious God. The dominant question comes to my mind. Who is your God? Who is your God? God is the God over every religious and cultural power. He continues to prove himself daily over this worldly regime over the difficulty of what we're seeing in our country politically and in every other sense that God's over all of that all of that that God is God and may we see God for who he is, what he's doing what and what he will do that to get a, a, a big picture of God, amen? To get a picture of God and who he is. That he's true. That he's creator. That he is just. And that he is gracious. As we look at these plagues, it seems like God is harsh and hard. But every plague, even before the plagues, there was this picture of mercy. Just let my people go, all right? Again, Pharaoh, who am I to let them go? Okay. Over and over again, the hardness of Pharaoh. And unfortunately, we see that oftentimes. I, I, was, I wouldn't even say oftentimes, but it happens all over the world, all over this place. Presenting the gospel and people's hearts can be hardened toward God. I pray your heart as a believer will not be hardened. I pray your heart as an unbeliever today in this room will not be hardened. Jeremiah 10:17 puts it this way: "The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it?" He goes on to say in verse 10, "The Lord searches the hearts. The Lord searches the heart." As I close today, I would say the ultimate display of God's power is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we all said, "Amen, amen." That's the ultimate display of His power: is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and three days later, he rose again by the power of God. That's the gospel. I I trust you have, that you know the gospel. There's been a defining moment in your life where you recognized, I'm a sinner. God is just, he's gracious, he's true. I put my faith and trust in him. Has there been that defining moment for you to say yes to Jesus, the creator God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of the Exodus. God, use these truths to change us, we pray. God, work in our hearts. I think of my own heart. I can can become wayward and I can become distant. And yes, my heart can become hardened. God, I pray that my heart would be open always to you. I pray that over our church family, God, Thank you for the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you for the convicting work of the living word in our lives. Thank you for these examples, as harsh and as horrible as they are, that point to you, a gracious Savior, your power, your superiority, and your mercy. We give all that to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.